Good morning. It is always a joy to worship our Lord through prayer, through song, and now of the preaching of His Word. Let us go before our Lord one more time in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come as we open up Your Word We anticipate that you are going to speak through your word to us today. So I pray that we would receive your word this morning. I pray that the Spirit would work in our lives this morning, that we would submit ourselves to this word. So Father, give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to receive your word this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We live in a culture where we mark ourselves and identify ourselves with different things or different people. For example, if you walked, saw someone walking into a store wearing a blue shirt with an orange C on it, you would probably suspect that they're a Bears fan. They are marked by what they're wearing. Or if you see someone walking in wearing a camouflage jacket with pants and boots, you may suggest or assume that they are in the military. They are marked by what they are wearing. And even more so, if you look closely at their uniform, you would see different patches on their uniform marking their rank. And so we live in a culture where we wear things or we do things that mark us, show us who we follow or who we belong to. And so we're going to continue our series in Matthew, and we're going to look at part two of Marks of a Disciple. We started this last week looking at verses uh, 24 through 31, we saw a disciple imitates God and not man. We saw that a disciple fears God and not man. A disciple proclaims God's message and not man's. We saw a disciple is valued by God and not man. We're going to continue looking at four more marks of a disciple, but before we do, let me just recap one more time what we are talking about when we say a disciple of Jesus Christ. Put it simply, a disciple is a follower, a learner, but more specifically, a disciple of Jesus Christ is a redeemed image bearer of Christ, devoted to loving, following, and becoming like Him no matter the cost. A disciple is a redeemed image bearer of Christ, devoted to loving, following, and becoming like Him no matter the cost. So if you are here this morning, you call yourself a disciple of Christ, may we take time to examine our lives and do we bear the marks of a disciple to an onlooking world? And so when someone observes our life, do they see evidence, do they see the marks that we are a disciple of Jesus Christ? Maybe you're here this morning and you don't profess to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. But may you listen to these words 
and count the cost of what Jesus is laying out before us of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now please listen closely that these marks only point to our salvation, but they are not the means of our salvation. For salvation comes through faith alone in Christ alone. But these marks are an outward flow of our faith in Jesus Christ. And so we will continue to our lives bear the mark of a disciple of Christ. So if you haven't already, would you please join me in Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 32. And as we are opening there, we're just going to lay out what we're going to see, the four marks that we will observe today. First, a disciple is marked by who he acknowledges. Second, a disciple is marked by who he loves. Third, a disciple is marked by giving up his life. And finally, a disciple is marked by his reward. So let us now enter into Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 32. A disciple is marked by who he acknowledges. It says, Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before others, I will acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will deny him before my Father in heaven. Jesus is talking to his 12 disciples, and he gives us two statements One of a promise and one of a warning. A promise, if you acknowledge me before others, the promise is, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. The warning, if you don't acknowledge me or you deny me before others, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. So let's unpack this. We start with the first word in this verse, therefore. What is therefore, therefore? Well, if we back up, three weeks ago, we looked at how persecution will come. Jesus says, brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rise up against his parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of my name. But he goes on to say, remember, a mark of disciple is, a disciple does not fear man, but fears God. And so Jesus then says, do not be afraid. And he just doesn't say it once in passing. He says it two more times. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of what's to come. And if we are not afraid of what's to come, therefore, we can have the boldness and courage to acknowledge him before man. We continue the second word of this phrase, of this verse of 32. Therefore, everyone... While in the immediate context, Jesus is talking to his 12 disciples, but at the same time, he's talking to us today. This everyone includes not just his 12, but all of us. There is going to be a day where all of us are either going to profess and acknowledge Christ or not. And so this passage is meant for us today as well. So therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before others. This word acknowledge, it's not simply just an intellect, 
just not simply a, some facts about who Jesus is, not even just believing that there is a God, because James 2.9 says that even the demons believe that there's a God and are terrified. But when we acknowledge Him, it's we are aligning with Him. We're pledging our allegiance to Him. We're professing Him. We are His witnesses. What do we profess? What do we proclaim? What do we align to? Well, we align to who He is and what He has done. This verb acknowledge is a future tense. So we have who will acknowledge me before others. Because Jesus is looking to what is to come. That He knows that there is going to be a day where He will die a death on a cross. And so we are to acknowledge who He is and what He has done. Romans 10, 9-11 says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the Scripture says, Everyone who believes on Him will not be put to shame. So we are to profess who He is, that He is the Christ. He is God. He is the Messiah, the Lord. He is the King of kings. He is our Savior. We profess on who He is and we profess of what He has done. For Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4 says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. That He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. So we are to profess the work, the saving work of Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection. And so for us to acknowledge Him, for us to be a witness to profess Him is to both profess who He is, and what He has done. Now, for all of us, there is going to be a time where we will have to profess Him before man, but that may come in different ways, at different occasions. And John Calvin, in his commentary, says this, A more public confession of faith, no doubt, is demanded from teachers than from persons in a private station. Besides, all are not endued with an equal measure of faith and in portion as anyone excels in the gifts of the Spirit, he ought to go before others by his example. But there is no believer whom the Son of God does not require to be his witness. In what place, at what time, with what degree of frequency, in what matter, to what extent we ought to profess our faith, cannot easily be determined by a fixed rule. But we must consider the occasion that not one of us may fail to discharge his duty at the proper time. We must also ask from the Lord the spirit of wisdom and courage that under his direction that we may know what is proper and may boldly follow whatever we shall have a certain that he commands us. See, we all will have to profess Christ at some point in our life. And when we do, we have assurance for in verse 19 of chapter 10, Jesus reminds us 
that when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you are to speak, for you will be given what to say at that hour, because it, is, it isn't you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father is speaking through you. And so in that time, if we place our faith in Jesus Christ, if we believe in Him, when that time comes when we have to profess and acknowledge Him, we trust that He, through the Spirit, will give us the right words to say, that we will acknowledge Him before our fellow man. And this is glorious news. Paul or Jesus goes on that if we do this, the promise, I will also acknowledge Him before my Father in heaven. This is a glorious promise that by confessing Christ, by allegiance to Christ, by our witness to Christ, we have the promise that He will also acknowledge us before the Father in heaven. That Jesus, this is a glorious thing, Jesus, when we get into heaven, He says, He is mine or she is mine because they have professed me, they have acknowledged me before man. This also shows an important relationship between the Son and the Father. We see that in this verse that the Son is the perfect mediator. Because He is fully God and fully man, He has interests of both parties. 1 Timothy 2.5 says this, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. In his letter to Timothy, Paul is emphasizing the humanity of Jesus Christ. And in his humanity, he is able to share with us and relate to us so that we can join with him and stand before the Father. But also in places like Philippians 2, 5-11, through 11, we don't have time to fully dive into this verse, but he is emphasizing the deity of Christ, that Christ is fully God. And therefore, He is the perfect mediator, being fully God and fully man. Being fully God, He is able to reveal God the Father to us. As God, Christ brings divine just and mercy to bear on relationship with God, uh, with God our Creator. But as man, Christ brings the perfect human obedience we need for our salvation and to be reconciled to God. And so therefore we profess that Christ, before man, that He is fully God and fully man, who is the one who has come to redeem us, to save us. He is the one and the Messiah that we look to. Jesus continues, though, in verse 33, the warning, But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. There's three ways we can deny Christ. One is a denial of silence. One, I've heard it said that my religion or my Christianity is a private manner. It is one that I do in secret. I'm an undercover Christian. It's a private affair. But if we recall all the way back when we were studying the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, 
He says, you are a light of the world, a city situated on a hill that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father in heaven. May we not live in a secret life. May we not be undercover Christians, but may we be bold and allow our light to shine for others to see so that they too can give glory to our Father who is in heaven. The second way one can deny Christ is through action. If we recall, a mark of a disciple is one who imitates God and not man. And part of imitating God is to be obedient to what He has commanded us to do. To fully submit ourselves. And yet, there are times where one may proclaim to be a disciple of Christ, but their life, their actions are living through the flesh and desires of this world. For Paul writes, For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposite to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, caressing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If we are to proclaim to be a disciple of Christ, the Spirit is working in us to sanctify us to become more like Him. And so is our life desiring to submit to the Lordship of Christ and be obedient to what He commands us to do through the power of His Spirit? The third way one can deny Christ is through words. Verbally declaring or denying or rejecting that Jesus is Lord, that He is the Messiah, that He is the Son of God. We could do so with our words. So we could do so through silence. We could do so through our actions. And we could do so through our words. But it's important to note here that throughout church history that there have been some who have lapsed in faithlessness. I'm thinking of Peter who denied Christ three times. But Peter's response after his denial was one of who wept bitterly, confessing his sin. And Christ forgave him, restored him, and used him in mighty ways and established the church through Peter. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Even in the moment of lapse, he is still faithful to forgive us. May our, for Peter, his life, that even though he denied Christ, that was not normative. Nor was his life marked by his denial of his Savior, but his life was marked by the profession acknowledging who Jesus is, that he was and is the Messiah. 
And so if we find ourselves in a lapse of unfaithfulness, may we go before the Lord just as Peter did. May we see His faithfulness and His righteousness who forgives us of our sin and who can restore us and redeem us. I came across this story this week. It takes place in the 1970s in Asia. The communist soldiers had discovered that there was an illegal Bible study. And as the pastor was reading from the Bible, men with guns suddenly broke into the house terrorizing the believers who had gathered there to worship. The soldiers shouted at them insults at the Christians. The soldiers pointed to the pastor and demanded he hand over his Bible. Reluctantly, the pastor handed over the Bible, which was his prized possession. With a sneer on his face, the soldier threw the word of God on the floor at his feet. He told to the congregation, we will let you go. But first, you must spit on the book of lies. Anyone who refuses will be killed. So a soldier pointed at a young man, you first. This man slowly got up and knelt down before, by the Bible. Reluctantly, he spit on the Bible, praying, Father, please forgive me. He stood up and walked to the door. The soldier stood back and allowed him to leave. Soldiers pointed to someone else, said, your turn. And this was a woman who came forward, shaking, terrified. She spat only a little, but it was enough. And the soldiers allowed her to leave. Finally, another young 16-year-old girl came forward. Overcome with the love of her Lord, she knelt down, picked up the Bible, she wiped away the spit with her dress. And she said, what have, you, what have they done to your word? Please forgive them, she prayed. And the soldier ended her life that day. This young 16-year-old woman knew the power of the gospel, was so overcome with the love of her Lord that she was willing to acknowledge her Lord even to the point of death. Now, we live in a free country where we are able to proclaim Christ and we're not at a point where we may experience this. But and so the question then is, are we willingly proclaiming Christ? Who He is and what He has done? Even though it may bring on embarrassment or rejection of others, will we boldly proclaim Christ? For a disciple of Christ is marked by who He acknowledges. He acknowledges who Christ is and what He has done before others. And so is our life marked by our, who we acknowledge. If we move on, our disciple is marked by who He loves. We follow in verse 34, starting verse 34, Jesus says, Don't assume that I come to bring peace on the earth, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. 
For I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemy will be the members of his house. Hearing this, this is a jarring statement from Jesus, especially as we head into Christmas season. And my mind can't help think of Isaiah chapter 9 and 6, where he will be called the Prince of Peace. Or how about we will be in Luke when we approach Advent, and we will see the angels coming, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to those who he favors. But yet we see here in our text this morning that I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And so in one sense, Jesus did come to bring peace. He came to reconcile his, the creation, us, with the Creator, so that we can have peace with God. But having peace with God will not allow us to have peace with this world who rejects God. You see, this sword is not a literal sword, but if we are using this as an analogy, a sword divides things, it cuts things. And so the sword that Jesus comes with is a sword of truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so while we may have peace with God, we won't have peace with this world. Because you're either on the side of truth or trying to find your own reality. And this world is against the truth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And this truth may even divide the family unit, a unique, special, deep relationship. Here, Jesus is quoting Micah uh, 7, verse 6. For I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemy will be the members of his house. Taking this apart, a man, probably a son, raised up against a father who is the head of the house. And at this time, the loyalty a son to have to his father was of the utmost importance. And yet, Jesus says, there may be division in this loyalty between a father and a son. If we keep going, a daughter against her mother... This would be another devastating split for a daughter. One of the most important person in the household would be her mother. It's who she looks to. It's who she respects and learns from. And yet there may be a split, a divide because of the gospel of truth. And even more so, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Once a woman marries into the family, she becomes a part of that family. She is to look to her mother-in-law for guidance and affection. And if that division happens, if that split happens, it leaves the daughter-in-law all alone. And so Jesus is going to proclaim all the way back, who are you going to acknowledge? Are you going to acknowledge the truth of Jesus, even if relationship 
hinder is hindered, even if relationship is broken, are you going to profess the truth of Jesus Christ? So the question that we have to ask for us today is, do relationships, whether it's within our family or others, do they hinder us from following after Christ, from being a disciple of Christ? Jesus continues in verse 37, The one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or a daughter more than me is not worthy of me. What Jesus is not saying is don't love your husband or wife. Don't love your mom or dad or your children. That is not what he's saying. So that would go against a lot of what we see in Scripture, that a husband is supposed to love his wife father to love his children. A wife is supposed to respect and love her husband and to love her children. Children are to honor and love their parents. And so Jesus isn't saying don't love them, but do you have a deeper love for me, your God, your creator, your Lord? I am your first love. As a father, or as a husband, or as a wife, or as a mother, or as a child, when we seek God and when we seek loving Him above everything else and desiring to submit our life to Him, the outflow of that would then be to have an even deeper love for our family, have a deeper love for our spouse, for our children, for our parents. But it starts with our love for God. And so as we pursue Him, as we desire to be like Him, may that continue to enrich our families. May that continue love that we have for our spouse and our families deepen as our love for our Savior deepens. But there may be some where this truth divides. I was going to Moody and seminary. I've seen my peers who left their family to come study theology and to study the Bible, even though they knew that their family was completely opposed to the Bible. Yet they were so gripped with the power of the gospel. They are so gripped with the love of Christ that they couldn't do anything else but profess and acknowledge Him. So the question that is laid before us, do we love Jesus with a deeper love than any relationship upon this earth? Or is our relationships on this earth endangering our love for Jesus? So we see a disciple is marked by who he acknowledges. A disciple is marked by who he loves. Thirdly, a disciple is marked by giving of his life. 
in verse 38 and 39, Jesus says this, And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone who finds his life will lose it, and anyone who loses his life becomes because of me will find it. For some of us, there may be relationships in our lives that are hindering us from being a disciple of Christ. Whether we are afraid of what they will say or we're afraid of conflict and division. But for others, the relationship with ourselves is what's hindering us from following Christ. As Jesus is speaking these words, and as the words are leaving the lips of Jesus into the ears of his disciples, they would immediately know what Jesus is talking about. The symbol of a cross, while Jesus has not died upon a cross, was a sign that meant sacrifice, that meant humiliation, that meant death. It was a sign that one is automatically it is a sign that one ought to deny himself. To fully submit oneself to the Lord. Again, if we recall, a disciple imitates God and not man. And part of that imitation is submitting our whole self, not just part of ourself, not just different areas of our life, but our whole self onto the Lord, acknowledging that Jesus is our Lord. And it's a willingness to deny ourselves. One commentator said this, a, a cross is the willing sacrifice of everything one has, including life, for the sake for Christ. It is something that the Lord himself, a believer, must take on himself when it is thrust upon him by the unbelieving world because of his relationship with God. I'm just thinking right now in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12. Paul says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true Worship, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. When we desire God above everything else, we willingly sacrifice our life so that we can worship Him and discern His perfect good will for our lives. We allow us to step off the throne of our life and allow Christ to take center stage. But I understand that that is not easy to do. For pride gets in the way, for the lust of this world gets in the way, the pleasures of this world gets in the way. And so Jesus says back in our passage today, anyone who finds his life will lose it. If you think you found happiness or peace or prosperity apart from God, it is meaningless. You will forfeit eternal life. For John, 1 John 2, starting in verse 15, says, Do not love 
the world or things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possession is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away. If we try to strive for things in this world, we try to strive to make a name for ourselves or gain as much possessions as we can, this world is temporary and everything we strive in this world will fade away. It will be lost, it is worthless, it is meaningless, and we will forfeit eternal life. But Jesus goes on and says, Anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. The Lord is not isolating martyrdom because no human sacrifice can merit salvation, but the willingness to forsake everything, including physical life, is necessary for the sake of Christ, indicates that the spirit of true discipleship and therefore the spirit of a person who is destined for heaven and eternal life in God's presence. And so a disciple of Christ is marked by the giving of his life, one's life. Acknowledging that Christ is Lord over our whole life and we willingly pick up our cross and follow him. This idea of submitting, of following his commands may be somewhat difficult and hard to hear, but may we take encouragement from 1 John chapter 5. He says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of Him. This is how we are now know that we love God's children, when we love God and obey His commands. For this is what the love of God is, to keep His commands. And His commands are not a burden. Because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has, that has conquered the world, our faith. And so through our faith, we can follow and obey the commands of God and be conquerors of this world. For Paul repeats this in Romans 8, chapter, or chapter 8, verse 31 In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. By submitting to Christ, He's not a dictator. He's not trying to just control us. But He is a loving Father who loves us. He's the good shepherd who calls us. He is merciful and gracious. He is a good God. He desires relationship with us. To restore us. Again, remember a disciple is a redeemed image bearer. We were made to worship Him. We are made to glorify Him. And to show His glory to the rest of creation. And so it is done by a willingness to sacrifice one's life. To step off the throne of your life and allow Christ to take center stage. And so, the question is, are we willing to lay down our life for Jesus as He has laid His life down 
for us. So we see in the disciple is marked by who he acknowledges. A disciple is marked by who he loves. A disciple is marked by giving of his life. And finally, a disciple is marked by his reward. If you would read with me, starting in verse 40. The one, <clears throat> the one who welcomes you welcomes me. And the one who welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. Anyone who welcomes a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who welcomes a righteous person because he's righteous will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is a disciple, truly, I tell you, he will never lose his reward. I wish I had more time to unpack this. This could be a sermon in itself. I think it was supposed to be a sermon in itself, but I changed up the passages last week, so I apologize for that. But while theme of this is a disciple will receive a reward, great rewards. We may not fully experience them here on this side of eternity, but we look to the future. We look with hope that we will be rewarded when we serve, when we give ourselves and commit ourselves to Christ, He will repay us with rewards. I can't help but remember the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and asked, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, follow the commands. He said, I've done that. And Jesus said, go sell all of your possessions and give to the poor and come follow me. And you will enter into the kingdom of heaven. And the young man went away because Jesus saw his heart. Jesus saw that his possessions was hindering him from fully submitting to Christ as Savior. And Jesus says it is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And turning to his disciples, his disciples asked, Then who can be saved? And Jesus said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. You see, Jesus continues, because Peter then says, Look, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus says this, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brother or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake, for the sake of the gospel, who will not receive a hundred times more now at this time. You see, as we submit ourselves to Christ, as we become disciples of Christ, we are brought into the household of God. And when we are brought into the household of God, we then inquire more mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers than we can ever imagine. That is a wonderful gift. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but if you're traveling somewhere and you know that there is a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ and they say, hey, come, stay with us, it's a blessing. 
We have many houses. We have many fields. And as a part of the body of Christ, one of the rewards is that we take care of one another. When someone is in need, we come around them and give to help them. And so here on this earth, we experience some of this reward of being a part of a family, of God's family. And not just here on this earth, but this will continue into all eternity. And also as we give ourselves here, there is a time where God will fully reign throughout the whole earth. And He will elevate those to, who have served Him, who have given their lives to Him in prominent places to administrate and spread His Word throughout the whole land to rule and reign with Him. And so even the widow who gives only a few pennies is going to be elevated in the kingdom of God. And even giving a cold water to someone will be acknowledged knowing that the sacrifice of getting a cold water back then, they couldn't just go to the refrigerator, pull out some ice cubes and fill up a cup of water. They would have to go find a well that produces cold water, bring water up to serve cold water. And so even in these small sacrifices, the more we sacrifice, the more we give will not go unnoticed, but we will receive our, our reward in heaven. And so, the question for us today Are we storing up treasures here on earth that will pass away, that will be destroyed? Or are we we storing our treasures up in heaven? Where moths cannot destroy, where thieves cannot break in and take. And so, we see that a mark of a disciple acknowledges God before man. A mark of a disciple loves God above his family. A mark of a disciple gives his own life, and a mark of a disciple is rewarded by God. So the question for us, do we bear the mark of a disciple? As we have an onlooking world, do they see, both through our action and our words, that we are disciples of Jesus Christ? May it be so, when God calls us home, that we would hear the words, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We ask that we would bear these marks of a disciple that we would live in such a way that the world would see through both our actions and our words that we are your disciples. Father, I lift up our congregation to you. I pray that you would continue to protect our congregation, that you would continue to grow our congregation 
the knowledge of, love for, and obedience to you as we are in this pastoral transition. Father, I pray for the Wences and their daughter-in-law, Julia, and her, who has passed away, and her husband, Greg. Be with them. Bring peace and comfort to them. Father, we seen in the news that earlier this week, missionary Stephen, who was shot and killed this past Monday in Baghdad, leaving behind his wife and three daughters. We pray for his family. And we pray for all of our missionaries that you have sent out into this world who are boldly professing and proclaiming your name, even in very hostile conditions. We are thankful that you have raised many missionaries from our church and have sent them throughout this world to proclaim your good news, and I pray that that would continue to go forth. So, Father, we lift all these things up in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.